This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, April 20th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. All right, Jacob, welcome to the show. Let's get right into it. There's a bunch of news that I wanted to t- uh, talk about today. Um, first up, a new Star Trek movie is in the works, but not a not a theatrical uh, film, not a not a new J.J. Abrams movie or a new Justin Lin movie, a uh, a streaming movie um, starring a, a familiar face. Tell me about that. Yeah, this is uh, the new Section Thirty One movie starring Michelle Yao, uh, reprising her character from Star Trek Discovery. And this was originally announced a few years ago as a streaming TV series, and of course, since then, uh, a lot has happened to both Star Trek and to Michelle Yao's character on Discovery, which I won't spoil here for anybody who uh, is not familiar with her. But the basic gist of this... Ben, are you all at all familiar with Section 31? I, I feel my baseline here. No, I'm not. No, I, I mean, I, I know that um, Michelle Yeoh is on Star Trek Discovery, and that's the extent of my knowledge. All right. Uh, section 31 in Star Trek lore is essentially the CIA of Starfleet. It's a section no one talks about. That's all the dirty work, and essentially their whole modus operandi is hey you think you live in a beautiful utopia where everything's perfect well we're the ones who make that happen by doing shady things and the uh, and there's always been a, a sense of conflict between the heroes of star trek and section 31 whenever a section 31 agent shows up there's a question of oh this guy can't be trusted he's going to do skeevy things he may think he's doing the right thing but he's actually you know doing in uh, he's doing right uh, the right thing in the name of um he's doing the wrong thing in the name of good things mm-hmm. so often 
Uh, and we've never actually like been in the interior of Section 31. And uh, without going too deep into Star Trek Discovery uh, uh, intense plotting, uh, Michelle Yao's character uh, was introduced in Star Trek Discovery as a noble captain who dies in the second episode of the show. And then we meet her again when her evil mirror universe self from, from their dimension becomes a leading character in the rest of the show. Uh, <laughs> and actually, Section 31 says, oh, this is a Starfleet, someone with a, with a recognizable Starfleet officer face, but who also is completely unafraid to do really horrible things. Let's get her into Star Trek CIA. And so it definitely felt like the right direction for that character in terms of uh, a, something to do with that character where it would make sense for the universe. That said, uh, I am. I have two things known here. One, I'm not sure I want a Section 31 story because my whole thing has always been I like my Star Trek optimistic, and mm-hmm. I know Section One is inherently cynical. And but the thing I find interesting here is that executive producer Alex Kurtzman has said that this is the first of a larger plan for regular Star Trek streaming movies. And we know how Star Trek Four, the of the Abrams Kelvin movies, has failed to get off the ground. They've been trying to make a sequel for years with multiple directors. This never happened. And I'm wondering if this is Paramount saying, hey, you found so much success with Star Trek and Paramount Plus with, you know, Discovery and Picard and Strange New Worlds and Prodigy and Lower Decks, all those shows, that maybe Star Trek belongs on TV with TV movies. And I, as much as I'm wary about Section 31, I think this is probably the way to take Star Trek, Ben. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, because it, it definitely seems like they're leaning into what works almost in the same way that like um, Lucasfilm is just doubling down on like the Mando verse and stuff, right? Instead of um, necessarily like just pumping out theatrical films right now. So it seems like they're, they found something that, that uh, they like and, and that, that fans like a, a way of uh, sort of consuming this Star Trek stuff and, and engaging and interacting with it. And they're just going to like continue to feed that particular beast instead of, worrying about all of the, um, I don't know, added pressures that might come with like a theatrical uh, type of thing. So I was going to ask you if you were like cool with that as a, a longtime Star Trek fan. And it sort of sounds like you are at least temporarily. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how it turns out. But, you know, I w- if a Star Trek TV movie is only okay, I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, that was fine. Or if a Star Trek theatrical film is only okay, I'm like, man, what a disappointment. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. And Star Trek has a weird track record where... Uh, I think Star Wars, Star Wars fans are starting to understand this. Like, Star, for years, there was only you know, a handful of Star Wars things. So every Star Wars thing had to be great. And if it, was, if it wasn't great, it was a huge disappointment. But now there's enough Star Wars. Star, Trek, Star Wars fans are to become like Star Trek fans who are sort of very much used to um, being let down on a pretty regular basis. And that's mm-hmm. even, even Star Trek at table. One third of the time, Star Trek isn't good. And about one third of the time, Star Trek is, you know, good. And about one third of the time, it's great. So... Uh, and that's because that's because the territory you have a thousand episodes of TV spread across fifty. That, that's just that's just how it goes. Yeah. Uh, so I am much much more willing to roll the dice with weird Star Trek TV movies about niche characters in niche Starfleet organizations if they're being made for streaming because that to me just feels like a, a opportunity to swing bigger and swing harder. So and even if it doesn't quite work, at least just five more TV shows stream on the same service. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so kind of sort of speaking of Star Trek, uh, there's a Galaxy Quest TV show in the works. Again, uh, this is one of those things that has been talked about a bunch of times. I remember having uh, interviewing Paul Shear, geez, it was probably five or six years ago at this point, and talking to him about it because he was uh, going to be writing a, a version of this TV show that ended up falling apart. Um, Alan Rickman, of course, was one of the main cast members of the Galaxy Quest 
uh, movie and he passed away in, in 2016. So that sort of um, contributed to this project, like falling back into development hell. Uh, but now Paramount uh, Plus, I think, is is really trying to get this off the ground again and get an, another uh, another crack at, at Galaxy Quest uh, on television this time. So um, we know that Dean Pariso, who I believe was the director of the original movie, and then co-writer Robert Greene and executive producer Mark Johnson, um, I think were working on versions of the show at, at, at certain points over the years. It's unclear to me exactly. I think Johnson is the one who is still involved with this new version, but I'm not sure if those other people are still involved. Um, but Jacob, as somebody who is you know, grown up loving Star Trek. I'm, I'm assuming that you still have a, a fondness in your heart for Galaxy Quest and think that there's probably a lot of ground to cover with a, a Galaxy Quest show, right? Especially with the way that that movie dealt with fandom in, what was that, 1999 or whatever when it came out. And like the, the idea of fandom has changed so much now. Um, Galaxy Quest as a commentary machine for, for modern fandom seems like uh, ripe for the picking, doesn't it? Yeah, I think this is uh, very telling. Uh, I remember, but maybe close to a decade ago now, at a Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, uh, there was a series of panels where fans like voted on, you know, favorite characters, favorite, um, you know, crew members, favorite ships, and whatnot. And they did a ranking of the best Star Trek movies. And a fan stood up on the mic in front of the crowd and said, "Galaxy Quest should be on this list and should be ranked high." And Galaxy Quest ended up being ranked higher than most Star Trek movies on, on, the, on, the, on the official <laughs> Star Trek list at the convention. Uh, and I'll never forget about that because it's accurate. It's, it's Star, Galaxy Quest is one of the great Star Trek movies. It's one of the great Star Trek commentaries. It has more Star Trek energy in it than a lot of Star Trek things. So I think Paramount Plus seeing success with Star Trek uh, makes sense for them to be chasing this. I do wonder what the direction is. And as you said, Paul Shear chased this for years. Uh, a few years ago on uh, the podcast I host with uh, slash, well, former Slash Film editor Hoi Chan Bui, uh, uh, she, uh, she and I spoke to Paul Shear about Galaxy Quest and about the uh, his unmade show, and he made it pretty clear that you know his whole idea was that fandom has changed. The very pro fandom fans are correct, fans should be cheered on aspect 19, of nineteen ninety nine doesn't quite sit as well in twenty twenty three. It, it's not it's, he wanted to explore that, but it's, it's the show never happened, and he seemed pretty bummed out about it. I, I do wonder, you know, what is the message to explore, like? Uh, if Galaxy Quest is about empowering fans, you know, surely a new show needs to be about what ha- what's in- happens in the universe when fans have all the power. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens to, to that counterbalance of the, to, the, to the galaxy, literally in this case, since it's a science fiction series. Yeah, I would I would love for them to explore that in a, a really like sort of straightforward, um, I, I want to say serious way. But Galaxy Quest was a was a comedy, but it also felt like it was like legitimately engaging with that um, that idea in a way that that really felt like you know a, a straight ahead sort of true. Um, exploration of, of those topics, like a genuine approach to, you know, it, it, tackling that subject. Um, so I, I hope that kind of thing, I hope the, the folks at Paramount Plus are not um, scared off by the nature of modern fandom in a way that that sort of um, neuters uh, what this could be. Um, and, and I guess we'll see. We'll see how this turns out. But uh, I think Star Trek fans probably are, are pretty excited about this one. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's hard to quantify, Ben, because I think people... Like I know people in general like Galaxy Quest, but it's hard to really put in the words how much Star Trek fans like Galaxy Quest. For for a, a movie that kind of, I think on the surface is making fun of them, it is so deeply in love with Star Trek that this feels like just a real like 
like Paramount knows the audience are going for here. Like this, the, the, this is Star Trek fans. Everybody who watches every episode of Picard will be first line for Galaxy Quest too. It's it's actually really smart. And I'm I don't know if regular people are excited for Galaxy Quest, but I know Trek fans absolutely are. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's a shame that uh, Seth MacFarlane's show seems to be sort of um, you know <laughs> swinging in the wind a little bit, I guess, because that that seems to operate in that same um, I don't know tonal sphere as well to some degree. So. Um, There's a weird civil war in, in Trek fandom over the Orville, whether or not it's good or not. And I have not watched it, but I know that I've spoken to some Trek fans who are like, it's actually really good. And some who are like, yeah. So maybe we have to watch it and come and get back to you. Okay. Uh, well, speaking of um, properties with divisive fandoms, uh, Twilight is coming back to life as a TV series adaptation. Um, it's unclear exactly if uh, the folks at, I think it's Lionsgate who are putting this together, Lionsgate Television, are going to just do a straight adaptation of Stephanie Meyer's book series, sort of um, along the lines of what uh, Max has announced with the Harry Potter stuff. Or if they're going to actually explore different corners of the um, the, the Twilight universe, so to speak, uh, I don't really have much of a. Actually, I don't have any relationship really with the with the Twilight films. Um, they came out at a really weird time in fandom when I think it was like the the last gasp of the period where um, I, I would say like mainstream uh, attitudes toward projects that were aimed at teen girls um, were really like reflexively and, and openly nasty and <laughs> they're sort of like nasty on main. And um, I think we've, we've uh, progressed a little bit further as a, as a culture uh, beyond that now, I, I hope. Um, but I, I think people are probably going to have some strong feelings about the return of twilight to like our modern pop culture zeitgeist. But uh, do you have any, any thoughts about this, Jacob? Um. My thought is, I'm going to echo what the writer Joe Roberts wrote in his piece uh, for Slashdown.com about this news, which is that the uh, reason why Twilight as a thing feels doomed to fail the reboot, and this applies to Harry Potter as well, and this is, they are going the reboot uh, level. Like, they are, like The Harry Potter news was, was frustrating because they're, they're, they're literally retelling books that were just adapted into fairly comprehensive movies very recently. And Twilight, if they're doing a similar thing, is frustrating because uh, Twilight and Harry Potter aren't James Bond. They aren't Batman. They aren't characters who are necessarily at this moment built to spin off an infinite number of stories. I mean, they'll make Batman and James Bond stories, you know, as long as human beings exist because those characters are flexible enough and have enough going on that you can um, really roll with it. Whereas Twilight and Harry Potter are stories of the beginnings, middle, and ends. Whether you like those beginnings, middles, and ends, that's, that's up to you. But they are fairly definitive in where those characters go. And unless you're willing to break out of that cycle and tell new stories, which risks angering fans who want the same thing over and over again, mm-hmm. you are entering a cycle of who cares? Who cares? Yeah. I, I don't I, I, I don't care about Twilight. Like I've seen all those movies. I think some of them are a hoot. Some of them are very bad. Some of them are intentionally bad. Some of them are, are unintentionally pretty fun to watch. You know, to take, take your poison. I don't, I don't, I, it's fine however you feel about those movies. Um, but I just don't understand why you would want the same thing over again, um, but on television. So if, if, they yeah. are going, if they are going to like say, hey, here's more stories in Twilight Universe, go for it. Vampire Diaries ran for like, what, seven seasons? People, people want vampire. People want romantic vampire stories. All, all power to romantic vampire stories. I just think that if Harry Potter opened the floodgates of here are the things that were once popular being remade, remade on TV, I don't want it. Yeah. Um, because I just straight up, 
these are these are these are not characters or, or, or franchises that were built to sustain being infinitely rethought about. I mean, we joke about Batman being rebooted every five years, but I think Batman's kind of, Batman's a character who can sustain that. Batman is has enough going on, enough open ends that I'm, I'm willing to experiment with a new Batman every decade. Whereas I'm not ready for that for Harry Potter or Twilight. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know I really hope that. Um, that the folks at Lionsgate TV watched the reaction to the Harry Potter news and saw enough people saying, hey, there's so much more to this world. Why don't you explore that instead of just redoing the exact same thing? And maybe they'll actually take that lesson to heart in this Twilight show and and give people, um, you know, a thing where there's familiar IP, which satisfies the the needs of the shareholders and the studio and all that, but also um, does something like creatively interesting with it, which could potentially satisfy um, you know, all the people who, who love this stuff. So um, fingers crossed that that turns out in the, in the best form that it can be. Um, before we take a break, I wanted to mention one more story really quickly, which is that uh, Bruce Campbell has been uh, doing the interview circuit um, because I, I guess, is he is he um, executive producing the new Evil Dead movie, Jacob? Is that right? Yeah, you he's know? executive producer, uh, or maybe even a full producer. I'm not on the credits in front of me right now, but he was definitely involved in the production of it. Okay, so Evil Dead Rise, uh, I believe, comes out tonight as you're as you're listening to this. Um, and I'm just going to read the quote that uh, Bruce Campbell told the AV Club. So he said, uh, the only problem with that is it can get out of hand. If we jump back into that world too quickly, it's hard to get it back. I think the stories will progress a little more now. We're going to try to do them more like every two or three years rather than every 10 years. And then later he says that uh, Sam... Uh, Ramey is working with his brother Ivan to create an overall Bible that will give writers and directors an idea of where this thing should go next, the, where the franchise should go next, and they could potentially tie in some of these stories. Um, so, Jacob, what do you make the idea that like we could conceivably, if Bruce Campbell's quotes bear out here, be getting more Evil Dead stuff like once every two or three years instead of every ten years? Is that something that you want as a, a fan of this franchise? I'm of two minds. I really, really like how Evil has taken its time over the years, how it, it makes us wait for new entries. I mean, it was like, what, 10 years between the uh, remake and Evil Dead Rise, which, you know, I saw, I saw it South by Southwest, and I talked about it on the show. I think it's really, really good. Uh, but if, if they can maintain the level of quality of Evil Dead Rise, a movie that I think is extremely entertaining, then I'm up for them giving it a shot. I know that we have articles going up on the site tomorrow from an interview with director Lee Cronin, where he makes it very clear that he has ideas for Evil Dead sequels already. In fact, there's um, no spoilers here, but there is naturally a recording of summons demons in Evil Dead Rise uh, that's, that comes from a book. And he's already said that he already has ideas about the origin of that book and a prequel movie about that book. And the oh, and, wow. and to be. So there's uh, people are thinking about it. Um, will people get tired of Evil Dead if it starts coming out every two or three years? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I do think that as box office has shown horror is one of the few things that is like consistent right now, even more consistent than superheroes. People are seeing horror movies. Um, unless they're Renfield, people are seeing horror movies. <laughs> uh, so it's, um, it's definitely a, a, a strike while the iron is hot moment. And I will say that my one concern is that uh, evil dead rise, like past evil dead movies is very extreme. It's an extremely uh, violent, gnarly movie that, uh, doesn't pull its punches. My one concern would be that if they try to put them every two or three years, they'll stick with filmmakers who aren't Lee Cronin or Sam Raimi who are tapping the brakes a bit. I mean, if they're willing to say, okay, the, the appeal here is built around hard, it's going to really push people's buttons, and we'll, you want to push those buttons every two or three years until people get tired of it, you know, I say, why not? I mean, every other horror franchise has had a, 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 a uh, 
boom period where it had a movie a year or a movie every other year. Friday Thirteenth, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, mm-hmm. Child's Play. It's Evil Dead's time, damn it. Let's, let's see what happens. <laughs> okay, I like your enthusiasm. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break and then we'll be right back. All right, so a couple more stories that I wanted to mention here, Jacob. Uh, there's a new Godzilla versus Kong movie coming out. Actually, it's called Godzilla X Kong, colon, <laughs> The New Empire. Um, this is the first time I've seen an X in a title like this. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's like Fast X, Jason X, you know, uh, that in, in that type of form. But in, I don't even know, as, as Jeremy uh, Mathai wrote in, in the... Uh, the slash film news piece about this. Like, how do you even pronounce this? Is it Godzilla by Kong? Godzilla times Kong? Godzilla X Kong? Like, what? what how do we even refer to this thing? So, uh, yeah. So, so this is happening, and it's going to be in theaters next year. Uh, Adam Wingard is returning. He was the one who directed uh, Godzilla versus Kong in in twenty twenty one. I think that was. Um, this is the fifth movie in the MonsterVerse uh, franchise here, and. Uh, yeah. Any any particular thoughts about this, Jacob? Uh, this reminds me of, uh, for obvious reasons, it reminds me of Superman, uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, where clearly uh, people involved were so embarrassed to have a movie called Batman versus Superman that they decided Batman v Superman was okay. And then tried to explain how it's like a, instead of a versus like a fight, it's V like a court case, a battle of like um, wills. <laughs> I'm like, no, thank you. Um, I don't know. I, this to me definitely reeks of a little bit of embarrassment of like being afraid of that versus and not knowing what to do with the two characters in the title uh i don't know how to pronounce it but i think that godzilla versus kong was a fun movie and not not it's a great movie but certainly a step above godzilla king of the monsters which is one of my least favorite major releases of past 10 years yeah really Uh, bad yeah but you know i like adam wingard i really like um uh, Kong and Godzilla as they as they were in that movie, and I like uh, their reluctant allyship in the final third. So um, yeah, let let's let them team up again. Uh, I wish I had a better title. Godzilla X Kong: The New Empire really sounds like a, like an Xbox 360 game, Ben. Um, <laughs> it really does. Let me read you the the what this movie is about uh, from the the official synopsis here. The epic new film will delve further into the histories of these titans, their origins, and the mysteries of Skull Island and beyond, while uncovering the mythic battle that helped forge these extraordinary beings and tied them to humankind forever. Uh, I'm not even really sure what that means uncovering the mythic battle that helped forge them is it like not really as much about them as it is is it like the prometheus of the the godzilla <laughs> x kong universe what is going on here i don't think we're getting a prequel or anything a prometheus style but i definitely do think it's going to be one of those um one of those uh like remember how in transformers 5 was revealed the transformers have been here all along mm, uh, yes intertwined with human history i think we're gonna get that ben I really hope you're wrong because I hate that so much. <laughs> it's, it's very bad. But um, All right, let, let's move this along. One thing that I don't think is very bad, I'm, I'm hoping, my fingers are crossed that it's not very bad, is that uh, the final Fast and Furious film, with the, the untitled Fast and Furious 11, has found a director, and that is uh, Louis Leterrier, who is directing Fast X. He's also the, the filmmaker behind um, the, the uh, Transporter 2. I think he also was working on the first Transporter movie. He, he made uh, Unleashed and... Uh, the Incredible Hulk with uh, Edward Norton. Um, but I think Transporter is is sort of like his um, calling card franchise, at least for action fans anyway. And that's probably part of the reason why uh, he jumped over to uh, step in for Justin Lin, who, who walked away from 
uh, Fast X in like the very early days of that production. Um, but the idea that he's coming back to direct Fast 11, I think speaks volumes about how Universal uh, thinks about what he did for Fast X, which we haven't seen yet. Um, but they must have been at least, you know, pleased with what he did under those circumstances. And and now he's going to have, uh, if you'll excuse the pun, a longer runway to work <laughs> on uh, on Fast 11 and and hopefully make that m- even more of a, you know, a Louis Leterrier movie, um, which I, I'm kind of excited about. So uh, do you have any any thoughts about this guy as a filmmaker? Uh, Jacob, any, any uh, Leterrier takes? Um, he's solid. I mean, he's, he's, he's exactly like when you're in a, a week into filming a massive Fast and Furious movie and Justin Lin walks because he can't stand work with Vin Diesel anymore. Um, he's the exact person you call. He's the exact guy you call to come in and clean things up. He doesn't, he's not the kind of guy who's going to walk in with a massive sweeping vision. He's not a guy who's going to walk in, um, like to, uh, you know, make, make his own movie. He's, he's the guy who can come in and say, okay, I'm here to do the job. I'm going to do the job as well as I can. He's a shooter and he, and he, and he delivers, you know, decent action and he has lots of experience working with a large budget. Um, Considering the, the circumstances under which Justin Lin left, you know, like literally a week in the shooting, more or less, and knowing that we know that there are a lot of divas on the on the Fast and Furious set, uh, he's he, he feels like a safe bet. He's not as exciting as Justin Lin, uh, but if I was Universal and I had hundreds of millions of dollars invested in this franchise and knew it was coming to an end and needed somebody who's just going to get it across the finish line and make sure it's competently shot on time and on budget, he's the exact kind of person I call in. And it's not me trying to put him down. It's not. It's not me... It's not even a negative thing. It takes a tremendous amount of skill to do what Leterrier does on the scale that he does. Mm-hmm. So to me, it feels like a really wise business decision. Uh, but as a fan of the series, I still wish Lynn had somehow managed to stick around. Yeah, yeah, me too, 100%. Um, and I'm very curious about Fast X, Jacob, because I, you know, this is like, I think I liked F9 more than um, a lot of people did. Uh, that's probably no surprise given my uh, sort of unabashed, you know, unabashed love for this franchise. Um, but I, I have some concerns about Fast X. I am, I am uh, excited for it. So I, I hope that if it's bad, then it's not Leterrier that made it bad, if that makes sense. Um, and because he's obviously sticking around for, for the, the final uh, go around here. So um, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about Fast X a little bit more as that movie comes out uh, in the next couple months or whatever. So um, before we do that, though, I wanted to mention one last uh, news story here, which I believe this came out. Um, this was maybe Friday that this news came out, which is that the Writers Guild of America has authorized a strike. Um, they're not on strike yet. I believe the the date that they have uh, set is May 1st to make a deal with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which is the sort of collective of um, of businesses and studios and, and conglomerates and all that who, who um, negotiate with the writers. Um, but we've written this whole article about what this means for film and TV fans. And I just wanted to put this on people's radar in case for some reason you haven't heard that there's an impending strike. Uh, and just, you can read this article and it it will really get into, you know, all of the details of what this means and what the writers are, uh, are potentially striking for. Um, but I think it's, it's noteworthy that this is, um, I think the highest turnout of any, uh, authorization vote that they've ever done for a potential strike and that there's a huge amount of solidarity among the writers. A lot of times it can be split where, you know, some people think, ah, oh, this might not be a good idea. Uh, and others can, you know, be a little bit more bullish on it. The, um, a strike authorization vote 
uh, I guess, uh, incurred a 97.85% yes, which is uh, just a, a staggering show of solidarity there. So um, I just wanted to put this on people's radar. Like I said, this has been a story that's been like brewing in Hollywood for, for quite some time now. Um, but uh, Jacob, do you have any, any uh, potential um, looming strike thoughts or, because I'm, I'm guessing the studios are not going to, um, you know, they're not going to be able to resolve these differences uh, in the next 10 days, right? You don't, you don't think that they're actually going to be able to, to come to terms, do you? No, I think we're getting a strike. I think it's going to um, be well, well earned. I think the, the writers, what they're fighting for, if you haven't looked into this, is just basic, basic, uh, a basic approximation of what writers have always had in Hollywood up until the streaming age. And uh, striking is the right thing to do if studios don't, don't um, you know, meet them halfway or meet, or meet their demands. And uh, it's, it's going to mess up production. It's going to lead to some weird TV and movie times like, like the last strike did, you know, all, all those years ago. But it's, look, if you actually care about the people who make movies and TV, then you support, you should, you should support the strike. That's yeah. straight up. About it. Yeah, that's a really great way of putting it. And I think, th- I don't know, I'm not sure if this is true, Jacob, but my sense um, is because everything is much more, um, because there are so many more outlets that, uh, you know, we're talking about all the streamers and like, um, the studios and everything. There are so many more places to watch things and 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 uh, companies making things that I feel like in 2008, when the last strike was, um, you kind of felt the effects of it pretty quickly. Like I remember movies like um, Quantum of Solace was a big one, right? Like you and I are Bond fans and that movie got caught up in the middle of the strike. And you could kind of tell when you watch that film that it, it feels like, you know, it could have used another couple passes on the script to really tighten it up, right? So maybe we'll feel it a little bit on the film side of things, but for TV, there's so much more, you know, TV, I think, has, has become like the dominant form of, um, of entertainment in America now, like no question, right? So uh, I would guess that these different companies and streamers have enough um, stockpiled, enough stuff, enough shows, uh, you know, in a vault ready to go um, that the regular viewer, the regular listener of this podcast may not actually feel the impacts of this strike in an immediate way. Like they did in 2007, 2008 or whenever that the, the strike began and end. I, I knew it was like a hundred days, but I don't remember the exact dates of when that ran. So uh, what, what do you think about that? Is that, do you, that that's the sense I get. Do you, th- do you also get that sense? Yeah, I'm really curious. I, I don't know. I know that, um, there's definitely been a rush for the streamers to start stockpiling scripts these past few months. It's been, that's been like a the worst kept secret around is them saying, give us scripts, give us scripts, give us scripts. But you brought up Quantum of Solace. Can I tell you my favorite uh, 2009 uh, Writer's Strike uh, casualty, Ben? Yes, please do. Uh, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, a movie I really, really enjoy. The writers openly admitted that uh, if you watch that movie, um, the, the moment Kirk gets stranded on the alien planet and meets old Spock is where they had to stop in the, in the middle of their uh, rewrite because of the strike and turn the script in. And that's when the script starts stops making sense. Um, so <laughs> you can pinpoint the writer's strike happening in that script. Exactly. Wow. The, I've never I've never known that that movie was a, um, you know, like sort of suffered the the impacts of that. Um, 
that that's fascinating. I need to go back and rewatch that. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. I saw it in the theater with my dad. I like loved that movie at the time and and have seen it a couple times since. But uh, man, yeah, that that's really interesting that you can tell that they've they've put on the record like here's the part where it was pencils down for us. That's really fascinating. You don't really hear that um, that kind of specificity about too many other movies uh, that were sort of operating in that time. So um, that's really cool. Uh, okay, yes, uh, solidarity with the writers. Hope you know, fingers crossed for them. I hope everything turns out. Uh, as well as it can, and that they get, uh, you know, what they what they deserve, as you said. So um, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. You, if you want to learn more about any of these things that we talked about, uh, I encourage you all to go to slashmill.com. I'm going to link to a bunch of uh, articles in the show notes. You can find them directly there. Slashmill Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhelm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.